Hello, welcome to episode five of Audible Forms, the podcast where I talk to a guest within the dream punk scene about music, each episode with a one word theme. Uh, today's guest, we have Panta Ray, um, probably best known as the owner of Pure Life Records, uh, and his word today was curation. Uh, we'll start with 60 seconds of music from uh, Panta, uh, music from the latest um pure life offering of his um and then we'll get straight into the conversation uh thank you for listening i hope you enjoy Essentially, uh, obviously, you've listened to the show. You know exactly what we're doing. Um, it's yeah. one word. Every I'm guest. Worried. Don't be. Don't be worried. It's because it, 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 it doesn't matter wherever, whichever way the conversation goes. It's just the starting point. Um, if it if it meanders, it meanders. That's the whole point. Um, but my word for yourself uh, was the word mm. curation. Ooh, interesting. Now the reason I picked that is because I know that pure life. Uh, when people hear this, it will be 2021. So, I mean, we're in a few days left to 2020, but when people hear this, it will be 2021. Um, mm. And I know that you've got quite big plans for um, Pure Life moving into 2021. And I know that you're looking to almost create a roster, almost identify um, Pure Life a little bit further than it has already, maybe. Um, so I wanted to talk about curation and what that means to you as a one as a musician as well as a label owner. Um, so with that in mind, what's when you think of the word curation, what does that mm. sort of bring up? What does that conjure up in your head? My first the first image it, it brings up in my head is the idea of some sort of kind of art gallery. So yes. you have some sort of blank sort of space or environment and you can change and curate that environment mm -hmm. to uh, leave some sort of impression I suppose. Now I've had this conversation with people before about um, labels and how I've always kind of seen them in a way as art galleries but mm -hmm. for music of course I mean it's, it's, it's different it's not a physical space and galleries tend to sort of shift and change you know like you'll go you'll go in one gallery one like in say in january and then you'll go back in july and it's different like they change things yeah absolutely but i think the same sort of principles do apply you are sort of showcasing art for people to sort of experience um yeah and you present it in a way that you want to present it in so some gallery you know some galleries will have loads of you know loads of paintings in one room or they'll dedicate an entire room to one bit of art um 
change the lighting, change, well, you know, loads of different things. And I think, and I think labels are the same, um, in the sense that when you release an album, you, you know, hype it up with some sort of, you know, build up with, a, you know, maybe it's teasing art or, you know, you're, you're building a world around it. And I think galleries do the same. Um, sure. Is that something that you're more conscious of, conscious of now with Pure Life? Because like I say, I know you're making a few changes, not changes, but you're evolving the label moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, traditionally, I think labels kind of had a slightly different role to the ones that they do in our scene. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that possibly um, comes from the fact that labels used to showcase, especially kind of in the Vaporwave days and the earlier days of, say, like Dream Catalog, um, you know, the, the art that was being showcased was anonymous art. Mm. And therefore, you wouldn't be able to find it the original way where you would kind of know the artist, you'd see that they had a release in the all the kind of normal ways that you'd normally find a release. Um, so the only way then you'd become aware of the music would be if you followed the label's curation. Yeah. And um, so I think that way labels kind of had a slightly different role um, from traditional uh, because then instead of just kind of being there to kind of help the artist promote the artist it was also to kind of uh, especially when you're releasing a lot of conceptual stuff so a lot of concept albums um, things that revolve around theme especially ones that are, uh, ones that are fairly uh, conceptual in the fact that they are based on kind of building world building and so mm. as you say you kind of help you you create an environment where that world can can thrive yeah i think it it, it it really does depend on the sort of the function of the label that you're sort of aspiring to make because obviously some because i don't know for yourself whether pure life started as a almost a curation project or if you just felt like you needed to you you just wanted to promote artists like almost did it did it start as a traditional label intention and you're sort of discovering the 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 creation side the, the, yeah the curation side of it sort of as time has gone on i think it was almost a subconscious thing i think the general kind of thing about branding and how you uh transform something like art into a commodity to sell mm -hmm. it's something that we're so finely attuned to in our kind of in the environment that we've been brought up in that you kind of naturally um will do that anyway so when i look at the first sort of things that we were releasing they kind of do group together kind of even though they're different styles there's like a running theme through them i think yeah um that's quite palpable and then that's kind of changed over time uh kind of gone through slightly different kind of waves and phases uh, so i'd say you know there's a time when we were doing a lot of kind of uh sort of nostalgic sort of almost sci-fi music mm -hmm. stuff like cmd and uh you know planes apparition sangam and stuff like that and then this year it's been more future based like more 
uh, you know, stuff that's less kind of lo-fi and tape-driven. Yeah. Uh, more kind of hi-fi and um, layered and kind of big, you know, big big on sound design. And uh, yeah, I can definitely hit. Yeah, definitely see that. So I'm just I've kind of got the um, the Bandcamp open now. Like if you're looking at your first set of releases, you got you got Thug, you got Sangam, you got yourself and CMD, and you've got uh, Kagami and um, background and yeah it's kind of got this sort of hazy sort of warm or, yeah lo-fi is a good way of putting it sort of kind of rougher sort of sound definitely I've never again never really noticed that before until you've said it so it's quite quite interesting to like scroll up and then you start yeah. getting into your um, let's have a look you've got your your draw Roy and um, cryo sauna and you've got wusa and stuff so yeah i can definitely yeah. see that it's kind of evolved into a little it's it's expanded in it sort of uh yeah it's definitely coming from the warm into the sort of the colder side of things not cold maybe not the right word sure. but um it's yeah it's interesting to see that happening as well and it's very now you've said it it's quite clear but may, I wouldn't have known. I don't think I would have pointed that out had, on my own. <laughs> um, but I'm, yeah, I mean, as I say, it wasn't a, it wasn't really a conscious decision to do it. I think it's no. just the kind of way that it, it worked out. And um, so curation is an interesting idea because uh, it's something that I think about a lot in terms of kind of uh, the impression that a group of releases gives and. Mm. Um, and it's interesting that we're talking as well about art galleries because uh, I don't see Pure Life as just like a music label at all. And it's always been um, something that I wanted to be purposely kind of multi-format and not restricted into kind of formats. Of course. Um, and so there's a, you know, there's a big visual side to it uh, as well. And it's just about kind of playing with different formats. Like we've done the video game that our free ended, mm. um, just kind of playing with how you experience the art, which is exactly, you know, what art galleries do. Like sometimes as you say, it'll be a painting on the wall. Other times it'll be some sort of installation. Um, and I, I think about that a lot. Um, I went to a, uh, an amazing art gallery in uh, Denmark. It's like in the Northern bit of Denmark and it's called Louisiana. And they have uh, these incredibly like immersive installations there. Okay. One was just like a dark room that had um, like field recordings of uh, glaciers like moving. Cool. All that stuff. So in complete like darkness. And then there's quite a famous uh, permanent installation that's there um, that is essentially a mirrored room with lights in it. Uh, it's by a Japanese artist. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Actually, they, they almost look like kaleidoscopes, but in like a mirror. Yeah, it's called something like called something like the mirror, of the soul, or something like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I can't think of the it's artist's just name. Like right. Katy Perry in there as well. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but it's 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 amazing. It's an amazing place, and I I I always had that idea in the back of my mind. Um, because you want to service the artists in a way that you know you're not compromising them to kind of you're not putting your own vision in front of them if you know what i mean but yeah. they play like a role in it so it's kind of a delicate balancing act between kind of and i think the right thing there's the definitely right got to be some 
because I see I'm very new to labels. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of in the, the stepping stones of kind of getting into the label world um, sure. as of next year. Uh, exclusive info to anyone listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's you've. Ca- I think the way I kind of see it, you kind of have to have some mutual understanding of what how the art's going to be presented in the sense that obviously like you just said you don't want to kind of impose what your yourself onto the art but on the flip side the artist has kind of got a not quite got to know but kind of has an understanding of where they're releasing and what the vibe of the label is to begin with so they they, they kind of have this sort of um they know what the vibe is for your label so they know that if they release on that label um you're kind of not packaging it to the label as such but you know what i mean it kind of there's a there, I, I don't know I've, again I'm, it's all very new to me i'm trying to figure it out but i think there's definitely yeah. got to be some sort of like you say a balancing act between the artist and the label and how that sure. interaction works and how the art is presented like you i think there's definitely it's it's a two-way street but at the same time you've you don't want to impose on your, each other's ideas yeah i mean essentially at this level um in this scene that you know what you're looking at is a cooperative release you're doing it because it's mutually beneficial to both of you mm. and um i think it's probably worth keeping in mind that with everything in terms of what you're doing you know uh, say you wanted to release with us and you wanted to have like and some artwork that I, that just would be completely out of whack with everything else we <laughs> release then you know that might be a bit of an issue because it, it would change the curation and you uh, i think you'd be in the, your the right to tell me like telling you. yeah you'd be you'd be well within your right to be like look mate this this artwork's just not going to cut it. Like, I don't think. I don't think it's bad. Yeah. Like, it might even be really good artwork. But at the end of the day, mm. like you say, you're it, it's curation. Like, you've got you want to. Yeah. It'd be like, say you was going to. Say you went to let's bring it back to the art gallery sort of thing. Say if you were looking at sort of Renaissance paintings, and you had mm. a whole room, and you this they curated a, a nice whole room of Renaissance paintings, and then right in the middle there's some like. Um, sort of some Mondrian, right? It just wouldn't. Or the, as good as Mondrian is compared to, say, these Renaissance paintings, yeah. it's just not gonna work in that one room. Like, it's just not. It's just not how it works. I mean, it creates an effect which you know can be quite, um, which can evoke certain reactions. This is true. I, mean, I think if if you look at like Dream Catalog and stuff, I think there's definitely points where they were releasing stuff that was at odds with what they'd what they might have been expected to release and mm. therefore that evokes like a new type of feeling like a it, it depends what you're trying to you know I, i'd imagine david's kind of a bit of a provocateur so <laughs> it's the kind of idea that it would provoke you to be like what um, oh 100 100 percent. there's no whereas if, if if you look at like all of our artwork on our band camp there's just it's been very consistent from the start um, in terms of how we, um, and that, that, and but there's lots of different artists involved in that, and mm. there's lots of different um, ideas and things thrown thrown in. It's just a case of finding the right people and knowing that you can fit it in. I, but at the same time, 
if I approach an artist for a release and they automatically think that they've got to kind of change their style or say do an ambient release mm. um, in quotation marks um, just to be able to fit with the label you know that's obviously not what I want like I, if I if I wanted them to do something that was different I wouldn't have approached them no exactly I mean? you you are then you're bringing in artists that you know can fit your vision of a label like you they yeah. know that they will slot nicely into that into your catalog of releases um yeah and coming back sort of backtracking a little bit to the whole the dream catalog thing like you're quite right i don't think you could be a label like dream catalog and release something like uh uh, like Vaporwave is Dead by Sam Timer and not expect to be <laughs> do you know what I mean like yeah like talking what you're talking about there in the sense that you have to be it's that is kind of like the Mondrian in the room of Renaissance paintings in a way sure. um, that was an interesting time I remember it fondly <laughs> and, uh, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's more of like Tracy Emin's bed yeah in the yeah, yeah in front of Lisa or something have you ever um, seen Tracy Emin's bed the, uh, did the that actual... catch on fire Oh, was that, oh was that the, no, that was her um, the, the, the tent one. Stage. Yeah, I remember the, uh, when I when I first uh, mo- when I first mo- when I first moved to London, I went to the I was just because uh, I didn't know what to do because I had like I didn't really know anyone there and hadn't really because I was literally I moved there for university and I'd been there for a couple of days and I was just like I don't know what to do yet so I'm just gonna go like wander around um, and I walked past the British British Museum no the uh, Tate Britain uh, yeah and they had Tracy Emin's bed in there. Um, I think there must have it must have been there for um, some special exhibition. But it, I just walked straight in. I sh- I thought you had to pay or something, but I just walked straight in. Um, and I was, was in Tate Britain, not the not the main Tate Modern. No, I don't think it was. Wow, that's pretty surprising. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting. What I find funny about those sort of art pieces, and I don't know if I'm the only one to have this thought. Because when you do a when you have a painting, say so someone's someone has painted on a canvas and it's done, like it's on the canvas, you can move that canvas around and it's the same bit of art. But when it's like Tracy Emmons' bed, because it's made up of individual objects in sort of a kind of a very random sort of assortment, does it is it different every time? Because surely they can't get it right exactly every time. I don't understand how that. The, a good question. I, I, don't, I don't know how you would preserve something like that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, uh, I don't know why I've gone down that tangent, but I was just thinking about it then. Like, like the bed sheet's going to be slightly different <laughs> than the time that it was presented before. I don't know. The, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. There's probably a lot of different rules, and maybe there's just hundreds of continuity photos that they have to adhere to. It's, it's, yeah. Move, move that bed sheets like an inch backwards, you know, and oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, and I, I, kind of bringing it back into sort of the whole curation side of things and where you're seeing the label going forward. Because um, obviously, as, as I'm aware from conversations we've had before, you're kind of making a conscious decision about... Um, maybe having a roster for the label and kind of pinpointing your pure life artists, so to speak. Um, was that something, again, that's kind of evolved over time? Is it something you knew you wanted to do and kind of needed to work out who that was? Um, and yeah, so... To put it, to, to put it in context, um, the challenge when you're 
running a label is to make your label uh you, you know you're talking about the curation and like basically mm. telling a story or uh with your with the set of releases that you're putting out and and the way that the, the difficulty is being able to stand out especially in a scene where the majority of artists are fairly um prolific and they will want to release on lots of different labels and the difficulty the challenge becomes not telling the same story as the other labels are out there essentially because as i said before like when it was back in the days where the majority of people were working under that kind of level of anonymity um but now they don't really in the same sense so mm. the kind of again it, the, the, it's changed a little bit more to kind of you know what is the purpose of the label now and if you and it is essentially that curation that is important so i mean the other thing is uh legitimacy mm. so in order to there's there's a few kind of concepts that are associated with i'd say they're kind of almost hangover elements from vaporwave culture that make um that kind of to me at least like have connotations of stuff that isn't particularly legitimate uh based on kind of things that have happened in terms of band camp labels uh you know like todd and oe oe <laughs> yeah and and it, it's i feel like it's had an effect on labels that are mostly band camp oriented that there's kind of a bit of an amateurish vibe that there's no you can't discern between the labels or releasing the same thing I've, uh, yeah i've always found that interesting i've always found i've always see when i was say when i started and the whole remember uh, thing became um when i started it was there was only really dream catalog where i could put my music in that sense like there wasn't yeah. especially because obviously i was coming out I, I started you know um got into vaporwave found out what all of that was realized that dream catalog existed which was more way more in tune with what i was into anyway because it was a bit more ambient it was a bit more sort of it was less sort of it was a bit darker and it had a few discerning features compared to other labels so when i started the remember project because i kind of wanted to channel that myself i had really nowhere else to go there wasn't i couldn't put myself on any vaporwave labels because i wasn't making vaporwave in that sense um whereas Absolutely. whereas now say say if i was just starting the remember project now or maybe six months ago or something it'd be a different mm. ball game because i've got you well dream catalogs on its way out but um i, I would have had dream catalog i would have had you guys there's you know no problem i mean no problem has always been around but they've kind of shifted their sort of focus you've got villain you've got all of these different labels where there's almost too many labels not too many labels is the the artist to ratio label uh yeah the artist to label ratio is a is there's almost too many not too i guess too many labels is the easiest way to put it because like you say there are yeah. instances of uh, quite a few artists releasing on like three or four different labels kind of bouncing backwards and forwards not that there's anything wrong with that in a sense but i can understand yeah. as a label owner yourself that could potentially make it harder for you to kind of 
put a stamp on yourself because you like yeah well, i mean i do think it's it's uh, illustrative that it's you, you know that we're doing a good thing if mm. there's a lot of labels around us that are doing well and then oh, also this this new uh, label is kind of popping up um like a gape uh mm. it's one that i noticed recently and obviously then you've got shima's new label the providence instinct mm -hmm. and you know it's it's a natural um side effects of, of of something being uh fertile ground in which like a lot of creativity is happening and mm. um, with that you know uh it's i guess what i did was i considered like what i felt were all the kind of most negative uh connotations that i felt were kind of like vaporwave hangovers that are in dream punk and the first one is that i want like all the quality of to be like really high quality like output um so no kind of amateurishness no just essentially ripping off entire songs that slow down <laughs> and lots nothing on that kind of level unless it's done in a far more kind of artistic way than the majority of vaporwave um second is just a level of kind of professionalism that uh hasn't always been in vaporwave you know and the third thing is um like just you don't want it to be oversaturated no. so so that those were the kind of the main three things it's just kind of the amateurist level in terms of com composition um the kind of lack of professionalism in terms of kind of how people uh handle themselves and handle situations and things like that and also just uh saturation in terms of kind of you're not just constantly releasing everything that you make you're not like scurrying to kind of put together a few half finished demos for Bandcamp day that sort of thing mm. it's kind of like i want to work with people who are really into their craft and in my mind that means that you spend a lot of time working on things or uh create a large kind of body of work and then kind of pick the best things out of it uh and that so so that's I, i've kind of picked a, a roster of artists that i think tick all those kind of boxes mm because um, there's, there's a lot of people that tick a few of the boxes but not all of them sure um and there's nothing as i say there's there's nothing wrong with being prolific there's nothing wrong with going from label to label no and releasing lots of stuff like it's whatever works for your kind of workflow i mean if you're sangam and you and you can do stuff really quickly but at very consistent high quality then our thug widow you know that that's what you should do because that's what that's what works for you and that's a, a good way of building a profile as well um it's just there's no right or wrong way of doing things um it's just i i think after the kind of first two years we've we've experimented with different ideas and different um ways of doing things uh in terms of doing lots of releases doing few releases and this third year is essentially kind of taking all the things that we've learned from the first two years and kind of i guess like the idea now is to be like a real a really specialist 
kind of service for a small group of artists mm. is the kind of is the emphasis that we're going on this year i think professionalism is a really important one um that you was talking about there and it's kind of you're quite right and especially in previous sort of vaporwave scenes and sort of moving into the whole dream punk thing i think professionalism and ma making sure that your label is top notch is really important in the sense that how you conduct yourself as a label in terms of artist relations and sort of how punters kind of look at you as well because yeah it's because a lot of these a lot, of, a lot of labels start this way, but a lot of able labels stay that way. Is in the sense that, oh, I run a label. Yeah, let me just give me your album. I'll whack it up. Um, that's our, it's our first release, second release, and not really, you know, no promotion, no well building, no, um, not paying artists properly, not any any of that, all that sort of stuff. It's just here, here I'll take your album, put it up on a bank camp page, and call it my label. Um, I think a lot of labels do start that way and then sort of evolve into more professional sort of enterprises but um almost having a small label and running it like you're running warp records or for example is like a really good metric of how you sort of conduct your conduct yourself um it's kind of something yeah. i've been thinking about a lot recently as well moving into the whole label thing it's like how how do i want to present myself do i i don't want it just to be oh it's it, like a band camp with some albums on it i want it to be i want it to look 10 out of 10 i want it to look like i've been running it for 10 years straight off the bat do you know what i mean like i want to know that i, I want to know what i want to know what i want it to look like i know what i'm talking about even if i don't does that <laughs> i i i don't I, 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 and i think I, can, I get that a lot from yourself especially with you know the plans that you're saying you're making for this year like or you know the coming years like it's I can you definitely conduct yourself that way and even through sort of the labels presentation as well i think um because that's obviously i know that's a whole other ball game like presenting your label being unique um and that's kind of i kind of want to touch on that actually um because i've never actually spoke to you about it so obviously because you've had pure life for a couple of years now but it was quite strong from the outset visually like you definitely had like an identifiable look vibe aesthetic brand whatever you want to call it um again was that something sort of right there from the beginning did that evolve um especially with your logo too because i fucking love your logo yeah it's, it's <laughs> but no no but in a sense it, it kind of reminds me of the um i like logos that haven't really got anything to do with the name even though it has got something to do with the name intrinsically but it's mm. not it doesn't say the word pure life do you know what i mean it's 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 yeah. a it's a it's a symbol it's a stamp um sure. do you do you take any inspiration from that at all from anywhere like does it, is that something you keep in the back of your head so the label was kind of born mostly out of kind of frustration honestly so um so when like me and when me and cmd started kind of chatting um and making music together we never had it in our plans to start the label at all. Mm -hmm. um, but as you say, you know, when your experiences remember, um, you know, thinking like you didn't really have anywhere to release. I mean, no, exactly. So, so we, so we finished Sacred at the end of 
2017. And that was your first Guys' um, album, right? That was the first one you did yeah, together. Yeah, so that's the first uh, Koryami album. Mm-hmm. And um, we were trying to, con- we, we thought uh, we were really both happy with it. It was very, you know, different from both of stuff that we'd, uh, the stuff that we'd individually done together, like uh, it was very different from our individual projects. Um, but at that time, there was a lot of kind of, it was, it just didn't seem like there was a place for it other than on like Blood Honey seemed the most uh, obvious choice. Of course, yeah. And so we, so we, we agreed to release it on Blood Honey and then it just like but that was when blood honey were kind of in their element and then kind of started to spiral and so we were in talks with them for a long time lots of emails going back and forth uh and they just gradually got more and more infrequent and um there just didn't seem anywhere else to go with it because it didn't seem right for what so it was during the time that kind of dream catalog was really into its like hard vapor stuff and Mm most of the labels around it like blcr and stuff were following kind of suit in that in that way um so essentially we kind of so then we just decided that after a fairly kind of negative experience with blood hunting that we we could do a better job ourselves Mm -hmm. and you know just from kind of being um uh a spectator like in the scene kind of watching how labels were doing things you know or you know what they were doing well and what they were doing badly and um so that became the kind of foundation of the label which was to try and do the bad things better and the good things better as well <laughs> so, so because you could see that a lot of things were being done right um but a lot of things were also fairly kind of amateurish and and kind of unfocused, I suppose, as well. Like maybe, but also there wasn't a lot of risk either. There wasn't a lot of kind of gambling. I mean, there, there was there was very few kind of vinyl releases and putting yeah. a lot of faith into the artists. It seemed very much kind of quantity over quality. Um, and did you know so where? Yeah, you... I think we, we. Oh, go on. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, so we, we just kind of decided to kind of set up a kind of list of principles that we just follow from the, from the outset. And, you know, it's lucky for me in, in, in a sense, I got to view a lot of the kind of things that went on with kind of Dream Catalog from the sidelines mm. so that I could know kind of how to avoid those situations. The do's and almost. don'ts, so to speak. Just like kind of like how, how you can avoid, because I'm quite a risk kind of averse person. And I've, I've always got a kind of risk in my mind. And it's just a way of kind of trying to do things legitimately. So, you know, it'd be easy to just do a label where you kind of take the art from Google images of like a city or whatever and lay it mm. over another one and another one or whatever until you have something that kind of looks like a dream punk uh, cityscape. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But for me, it was it was always uh, about working with people other than musicians as well. So it's about kind of getting artists and working, you know, working with designers. And um, the logo was made by uh, 
it was actually my next door neighbor who's who was who does a lot of design work for us he's called dan towns okay and um the initial idea this there's a film that's called love hotel which is a documentary about love hotels in tokyo nice and there was a a really good it had a really good logo and we just kind of had this idea of some sort of kind of sign outside that was kind of like had a bit of a, a sleazy kind of look to it but mm. also didn't kind of tell you what it was it was almost like a kind of secret club so if you if you know you know sort of yeah something that you'd see it and you'd be like you'd wonder what was going on behind the behind the door sort of thing yeah and, i really uh, like that's cool and then yeah it, it, it's because it's it's a combination of the two um cyrillic uh, characters yeah that start with pure life in um in ukrainian um I, I do like and I liked it for that reason I remember when I think I think I've pretty much followed you guys from day dot because I remember um, Hollow Sun by Thug coming out um, yeah obviously yeah. we were, it was very new at the time but even then almost certain that you had like the, that vibe down already you kind of have that sort of black and maroony vibe with the logo like it was straight off the bat you knew it wasn't the, you, you kind of have made your stamp straight straight out the gate almost um yeah and i think that's well, we, and that's worked we, in your favor we definitely, we definitely chose like fog widow um very purposely like he was very kind to release with us on as like a first release mm. um but we definitely wanted to kind of shoot out the gates basically making the statement that like this isn't a vaporwave label and yeah, that's, um, and it's like definitely one of his sort of darker forays as well, which is yeah. especially. I mean, especially now because obviously he's kind of he's kind of obviously he's, he's in a really weird position um, because obviously he's releases he's got releases with you guys and loads of other sort of dream punk vapor wavy related labels, but yeah. at the same time, so my other halves uncle is a old school 90s junglist like he's just like through and through like from the day and he he came to me and was like oh have you heard this thug widow dude like his stuff's really good and i'm like yeah no he's like one of my mates um yeah. but it's it he's kind of transcended it's really he's in like a really strange position at the moment where he's like he's known by our scene but he is also like really making waves in the jungle scene too and it's obviously it's released on a few sort of quite prolific modern sort of jungle labels as well. So yeah, it's it, and it's that's amazing to see. And it, but it's really cool to see that start here and kind of spread outwards. Um, but he feels right at home here as well in our scene as well. It's kind of, it's strange. Yeah, um, I mean he he is um, he's incredibly good at creating atmospheres. And um, so aside from the kind of his prevalence and kind of the breaks and things like that that are always part of his his music but he he creates such a a, a rich atmosphere but i mean in terms of curation he was one of the artists that just sent me like 30 tracks and told me to kind of pick an album out okay uh, and it was really difficult because the quality was so consistent over like pretty much all of the tracks Mm. Um, 
but that was and, and I've done that for a cult member as well okay uh, on his album because some people just don't you know they're, they're good at creating stuff but they're not they don't have that sort of element to them that knows how to put together a release that kind of makes sense if you know what I mean I think in the sort of the bigger music world it happens more than you think whereas like yeah, an artist just creates just batches of tracks and then the label kind of has to I know that happened with um, I don't know if you follow um, Vision Records which is uh, noisiest label but they've got someone on there called Posai Posai Right. Um, and they did exactly the same thing. He sent, I think he sent them like 50 tracks and they're all completely like, some of them are like drummer bass, some of them are like yeah. half time. Um, and I, they've like split it across three EPs. Like they did like a, a half time EP, a drummer bass EP, and then it's like sort of like something else. Yeah. But there was no album there. He was, there was, or any albums. There was no project there. It was editor because, mm. you know, for, for me in, in all my projects, I like to work with people like in music. Um, I, I like the the being able to kind of bounce ideas off someone and getting feedback and you know working for them. And I, I think uh, the idea of kind of doing solo projects is kind of daunting because you don't have that person to kind of bounce ideas off. Hundred percent. And therefore, have, having that kind of relationship, uh, just a fresh sort of set of ears, um, like. Uh, with someone who works for your label there you know that can be really useful in order to be able to kind of really kind of whittle it down to the the, the gold mm. um, and it's something i enjoy doing as well i think there's a really interesting psychology to the how albums are sequenced and when i think of like my favorite albums a lot of the it it's, it's a bit like it, the sequence is very important basically i think and it's a bit like um, films and how they have arcs uh, in their different storylines. Uh, so, you, you know, you have your classic kind of free arc structure in most films. And I think you can relate that to music as well. Mm. In all the, like I um, just completely um, quite left field choice but there's, a, there's an album called Bows and Arrows by The Walkmen I don't know if you've heard of it I do yeah, yeah I know The Walkmen I don't, know the, really, I don't know the album but I know the band yeah, yeah. It's, it's got really interesting structure because they had this kind of um, they had this single called The Rat mm-hmm. I know the chain yeah. This, yeah and it's this kind of like really fast paced kind of like almost like proto post punk sort of tune but on the album they start off with like a really slow song like a really slow with like no percussion and they go into the rat which is obviously this very high octane track and then they in the third track is again like a really like quiet maudlin track and i just think that I've, i'd never like seen that on an album before and i just thought the sequencing really made the experience of listening to the album like different than if you if say that was sequenced in a in a in a different way i kind of do I, I kind of have similar choices in that sense now you're talking about it you know, i'm thinking about it so since i would say so i believe um the city is my friend four uh four shots and the the most recent one the self-released mm-hmm. album with the stupid long title um <laughs> they all have something in common in the sense that the ambient tracks are always in the middle so they start 
beat with beat bass tracks then they're ambient in the middle and then they end with beat bass tracks too yeah thinking about it i don't know if that's on purpose i don't know if i've done that sort of subconsciously it's not something yeah it's not something i've actively thought about but in the same in the same sense it's like it's it's changing the pace like it's um you start you're starting out the gate then you're bringing it down a bit and then you're rising it back up again at the end yeah i mean i i always think about albums like low uh, mm-hmm. by david bowie and how you know it's got the, all the pop tracks on the one side and then like in congress sort of ambient stuff that he did with um the harold butter was it i think uh, he did it with eno right because it was oh, yeah, the, it, it, it was, was the eno, um the yeah. berlin trilogy or whatever it's called yeah yeah um and i it, it i i also like at the moment because we're doing more vinyl now is i is i do think about how stuff sequences like in terms of sides mm-hmm um, and that was something that was in my mind a lot when we were doing the late, the latest kind of Koryami thing that we did with QMDX mm. and um, and how that would kind of split together um, in terms of kind of sides. And then also, I guess you can think about that in terms of kind of tapes as well. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never thought about that because obviously every time I've, the only time I've ever written an album for vinyl was The City Is My Friend. I wrote mm-hmm. that one knowing that um, we was gearing up to do um, a vinyl release. So I had to think about that in the sense that one, obviously the length of the album, I couldn't make it any longer than, you know, 40 minutes realistically. Um, but yeah, I had to think about which track can actually fit on a side, of, like which tracks can fit on a side of vinyl and which can't, like which ones can go together and which ones can't because yeah. of track lengths and whatnot. Um, yeah I can imagine as a label head you've got to think about that as well because obviously you're not the ones writing the music someone else well unless it's you're you know doing your own stuff but um, if you're getting tracks from other people like for example when you when you did um, Ambient Punk Volume 2 like I can imagine you didn't really know what people were going to give you in terms of track length and things like that no I mean I did give people a limit oh of course um, yeah. which was about five minutes to think but other than that no i didn't and um there was a point where i'd got about half the tracks and quite a lot of them had similar sort of structures in that it would start off with quite a protracted sort of long um um sort of intro mm. and then there'd be some sort of drop which i think is kind of similar it is to yours and Wuso's track yeah um and then there was also kind of Kim Dex's and Rashida's track that did the same and then um the Room 208 and Forms track yeah which is again is similar so I, I I was worrying a little bit at one point because a lot of them were starting to kind of be structurally quite similar but I found in the end that they just after listening to it enough times they just started to kind of group together in my mind like the certain sorts of tracks and slightly different kind of feelings that you get you know just for instance like how the hk shima one with the breaks mm. goes well into the kind of fog widow compages one yeah and i think you know if that if there hadn't been a hk so originally that was supposed to be hk gateway um track got you and that would have been very different. I wouldn't have had the breaks, but then it wouldn't have led in to the. You know, yeah, you would have had to. Abrupt. You would have had to think about the order differently. Yeah, so it it, it just worked out very nicely, and, and people have commented on the sequencing of it, um, that it does fit together, and and you know that's a 
that's that's something that I'm pretty proud of. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it just shows that the curation, despite the amount of different sounds, you know, with the low sort of lo-fi house and the kind of the last tracks almost kind of like noise, and then um, ambient and stuff that they all do fit together as like a as like a statement. It's interesting that you was getting tracks with similar sort of structures appearing. I don't know. I wonder if that was just because, like you say, you had a, you had a time limit sort of rough time limit that you had to have a tracking yeah. that people gravitate towards that maybe like me personally um i don't know if anyone no one's ever pointed it out to me but i i actually structure my tracks like edm tracks or like sort of um yeah. in the sense that they've got sort of a, like an intro then like a rising build then a drop then a breakdown rising build second drop end like i yeah that, but that's that's one it's it's kind of half conscious half not like one i find that structure really satisfying like when i listen to a bit of music and it has that structure it kind of yeah it's funny isn't it like i I grew up listening to music like that so but like i i grew up listening to house um and drum and bass and you know Mm. and then i got really like bro step was a really big thing for me um like (laughs) like 10 years ago and i do owe a lot of my sort of productions like startings and learning about production to bro step which is quite funny i'll have to talk about that one day with someone because it's it is pretty interesting because you, you think about how like I, I spoke to david on the dream catalog podcast about how burial is like something that's cited quite a lot uh, as influence for dream punk despite you know there being very little kind of two-step and garage uh, aside from kind of cryosong yeah in the scene but it's interesting that people have taken what you would imagine to be kind of almost like a secondary element to burials music and fleshed out on just that side of it as opposed to any of the kind of beat stuff that is really interesting actually you're quite right because like someone like there's a lot of burial-esque ambience in dream punk um you know taking the sort of the sort of the textural side of it but you're quite right there's not so, much of the other end of the scale which is the more sort of you know two-steppy or even to sort of dance music element but although i was speaking to um Cryosauna about that on the last episode i don't know if you've heard the last episode but um, i did i listened to it yeah um we was talking about how there is i think that i do think there is kind of a more sort of uk-ish element coming into um Dream punk, wherever it be through um, the dancey elements, um, sort yeah, of the, so. the, that. There's definitely I, I couldn't put a finger on it, but there's definitely some. Well, about eight years ago, there was kind of a bit of a post dubstep movement mm. that um, I think you know you, you could almost say that kind of uh, I know that like Cross Polar and Bruce Guys and Sangam and stuff uh, were all around that scene kind of mm. on the edges it was almost like the future garage sort of scene mm-hmm. um but like i had a friend called uh hightel who in bristol and bristol went you know when i was there for university it was massively into it, it basically went from like breakcore almost overnight to dubstep <laughs> and then after dubstep there was this kind of really interesting kind of mini movement that people couldn't really seem to agree on what it was but some people called it kind of post dubstep where it became you basically kind of took elements as you say from like you know the drops and and big bass lines and stuff but added more melody added more kind of composition 
and his stuff like his first album which is called broadcast which came out on true panther is sounds like something that would come out in the dream punk nowadays but it was eight years ago or something. that's mad that's interesting i have to check that out sounds pretty interesting actually but it um, never really came together in that kind of way it just didn't really take off and no. part part of it was because people couldn't really decide what it was and i think um that's an interesting element of curation as well to bring it back mm. is that you know there was a there was a bit of a discussion last year of kind of like how we group you know the sort of music that we're doing because it's not vaporwave and it's not like idm and all the sort of stuff it is something that it, that is kind of exists on its own plane and i do i do think like getting a, a name for it across is important because if you don't get that sort of kind of agreement on what it is it's just not going to go anywhere it, it becomes difficult to to kind of push it forwards 100 people yeah you've got you've got to have some identification i know a lot of people don't like genre names and things it's kind of you, you kind of you kind of do or you don't um no. i'm actually a very big supporter of genre names and i can get quite anal with genre names personally but um i think yeah it's quite important because of yeah you're quite right otherwise there's nothing there's no it even comes down to a like a, a, a small thing of like oh I'm releasing this I've got the I've got this collection of music that I'm really into oh what's it like what sort of stuff is it oh well it's kind of like this ambient ears sort of yeah. sometimes it's beat bass sometimes it, it's this sometimes it it's that it definitely has a purpose it's yeah. just kind of when people become it's another thing that you don't want to take from vaporwave is this kind of like you know saying this art is not valid it's not vaporwave because it doesn't have this element to it or whatever because mm. you know that's quite a fascistic sort of mindset that you don't really want to get into you know mo most of the you know harbingers of kind of say you know nirvana i know kurt cobain hated the phrase like grunge mm. and uh but you know you just kind of would he have been the there without it, it like would it would it would well, yeah the, the, the idea of kind of y you want to be attached to something like dream punk so that people can find you mm. and if they find say your work and they want kind of more something similar you know that they can then able to tra <coughs> traverse the, the kind of ocean of music to be able to find you know something else that they might also uh enjoy and um so it's 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 good in a practical sense mm. uh, but you don't want it to become that kind of overriding thing yet yeah, because one of the kind of negative aspects that you can get from that is that the people who do end up kind of trying to push the boundaries or work the envelopes at the kind of peripheries you know people like w bear or like form or whatever mm. they don't get rewarded for being innovative because what they're doing doesn't fit nicely into kind of an established box whereas someone else could do something that's fairly tame like tamely dream punk take the kind of uh basically just do like a 2814 sort of rip off or whatever mm. and gain more kind of plaudits for playing it fairly safe than someone who's actually like actively trying to push the genre and the scene forward into new areas with and this is kind of like a a little bit of a tangent because it's kind of it's kind of based on what you was talking about a minute ago obviously you use it you was at university in bristol sounds like you was quite sort of fairly involved in sort of like uk sort of what the scene that was going on in bristol 
Um, uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a great time to be there. I was very much into the breakcore scene. I had a few friends who were doing breakcore back in the day. Mm. They taught me like loads of valuable production uh, techniques and how to get like pirated versions of Ableton and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's it, it was a good time to be in it. I just didn't vibe so much with the dubstep because there was a kind of wild, feral sort of punk about breakcore, but dubstep came with a kind of a bit of a kind of rude boy front, yeah, which was less appealing and kind of it was just a kind of less immersive atmosphere, mm. um, you know. I. But it was it was cool to, it was cool to to see and it was a good time to be in Bristol. Like it, I've I've never been in a kind of environment where like a a, a music genre has kind of taken over a whole city. It, uh, is before. is that where your sort of your the the whole idea of like the rave case releases come from? Like, do you have like a foothold in that sort <laughs> of? Because when I look at those, I think of like oh, like rave um, tape packs. I've got a few, like yeah. obviously for raves that I was not even not even alive to be at. But um, <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's, it's, an, it's interesting though that you say that because some of the people that I think are doing like the best jobs of replicating the atmosphere of kind of nineties um, rave music, you know, are people who are too young to be. They've almost like experienced it secondhand. Yeah, it's through, hilarious to me. Uh, like, <laughs> it's I really mean, interesting. Like, like, like background um, is probably one of the most true. You has one of the most like true UK sounds. You know, even even like Barrett and and um, mm -hmm. you know Castle and stuff like that. Like a lot of good UK sounding stuff is coming from the states mm -hmm. uh, through kind of like secondhand sort of um, experience, like online experience of uh, what they perceive to be kind of or how kind of rave uh, culture is um, uh, kind of transcribed to them like if you know what I mean yeah yeah of course it's uh, funny because even if you was, even if you was to stay homegrown say it's still to be the UK to be someone of age of the rave scene you'd have, you'd have to be like 45 50 now like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's yeah. being the, the time that it's from um you're quite right i think there's 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 some artists now that really sort of um, i don't know if you're aware of coco bryce are you aware of coco bryce he's like a i think he's dutch uh, yeah and he might i think he must i think he's in his late 20s early 30s but he's just got that sort of 93 jungle sound down to like a t obviously it's still it's got his modern sort of um production value as such like it it's, yeah, doesn't yeah. it clearly wasn't made on like akaya samplers from the late 80s early 90s but um yeah i think yeah it's interesting how like the most or almost most authentic stuff is not mm -hmm. that authentic at all um but no i really that's why I, I really like the because it's quite unique for the scene and in general like the whole rave case idea i've always been a, a very big admirer oh, yeah. of it um yeah, it's it's cool. It's um, I mean, I, I like it in a practical sense because uh, the J card like cases like are pretty fragile for one mm. thing. Um, but also there's something I don't know. There's something quite uh, physical and like 
about it. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But they're also very expensive to make, which is why a lot of labels don't do them. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, so. I wouldn't dare ask, but I can I can imagine it's because it is it is definitely unique, um, and it's definitely. Mm. I can imagine it's more fun though, in a way, because you've got a little bit more space to work with art-wise. Um, you can I can imagine you could be a little bit more creative with it, and yeah, I think, and like you say, it's more I can, of an experience. I can they annoy people though because they don't fit in their like tape racks. <laughs> that's that's just, quite cool that's, though, that's right? Good. We don't want to fit in their tape racks. Yeah, exactly. You, they've got to keep it separately, which is cool because especially if you collect a few of them, then you've got a whole pure life section, and then you can't, like you say, you can't put it in with the rest of them. So now that is quite cool actually. I've never thought about yeah. that. I mean, it's it's um, it's really cool being able to kind of. Like band CDs who do all our tapes and always have them. I like mm. they're so good at like doing you know so many different kind of options and stuff. And uh, they have uh, it, they're just really good quality as well, and the turnaround's really quick. So that's the big positive. I mean, the only one of the other reasons that we're changing kind of our way of doing things is that vinyl just takes so much longer to produce oh it's, it's it, and it's just a whole different process like you, it's yeah. a very beaverish format yeah and um, because you're it just ups the ante in every sense because it's more there's more requirements on how it's mastered and mixed and then there's people are spending more on it so they're expecting more from it it's it's just kind of it ups the ante in every every respect mm. well this has been a really good chat and i think i'm well i'm very happy with this conversation and what we got to talk about because it's kind of the like i say this every every episode i don't script any of these or i don't have any notes or anything it's literally just talk about what we talk about but i kind of have a general idea of where i think a conversation is going to go and it definitely went that way so um thank you for coming on man this is a big honor of mine and i'm um, glad to, you was happy to do this um Pleasure, man. Thanks like and me. uh because i know you're an active listener of the show too which is which is helpful because you, you know the format and you know how these things how these things roll so um I, and i say this every time we're gonna i'm gonna have guests back on in the future like we'll you know we'll do do this again sometime with a different word we'll come talk about something completely different most likely um have you got anything anything you've got sort of coming up like soon that you'd like to plug think this is going to come out on the uh the 4th of january uh yeah the 4th of january so anything so 2021 so if there's anything you want to plug um Um, i'm not sure we will have announced it by then um but we we will have our first release of 2021 at the end of january cool um it's a relative kind of newcomer to the scene mm-hmm. but it's a an album that i've been listening to a lot in the last couple of uh, months since we've had it i think it's really strong and also it's kind of um, a little bit uh, I, I guess it doesn't it, i think it's kind of like on the periphery of the dream punks thing but it's kind of also got a bit of that kind of old style older style that we used to put out that mm-hmm. sort of nostalgic sort of um hypnagogic sort of synth style so I'm, I'm i'm pretty excited about it um and then we have following month we have a reissue well not a reissue but an issue of 
an album that is one of my favorites that I think is one of the most overlooked um, that's come out in the last five years. Oh, so cool. it's a, a big honor to be able to kind of put that out. Fantastic. Uh, and- but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just generally sort of very excited about this year being able to put, uh, you know, a lot of effort and work into fewer releases. Um, but just kind of really, uh, you know, give it, giving it the real, like a full, like kind of VIP sort of treatment. Giving it, yeah, giving it the 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 time and energy it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And it, like you said before, it's, there's nothing wrong with putting stuff out which is on the fringes of what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, I think another, I you know, the best thing about a label is also introducing stuff that you like to other people. So, yeah, don't be. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. Um, do you say the end of January? End of January. Cool. Um, and that should be another vinyl release, and uh, there should be a, a visuals version as well. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, so it should it should be good. Excellent. No worries. Well, thank you for coming on. And like I said, we, we speak fairly often, so I will speak again soon. And uh, yeah, cheers. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jude. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please let us know at my personal Twitter, which is at Remember4802, and the Livewire Twitter, which is at LivewireInt. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. We're open to your suggestions for guests and themes. Uh, don't forget to check out livewireint.co to check out reviews and news of everything Dreampunk. Uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us in two weeks' time for the next episode of Audible Forms. Thank you.